Welcome to this week's episode of the HRDQU In Review Podcast, where we bring you the latest insights and practical tools for enhancing soft skills training within your organization. This podcast is brought to you by HRDQU.com, and I am your host, Sarah, Learning Events Manager at HRDQU. And today I have Cindy Huggett joining me to discuss the webinar, Five Things the Best Virtual Presenters Do. Cindy is a leading virtual expert with over 30 years of experience with technology-enabled learning solutions, and I'm excited to dive further into this topic with her today. So welcome, Cindy. Thanks for joining me. Sarah, it's great to be here with you and your audience. Thanks for having me. And if we could just start things off, can you share a little bit of your background, where you got to, you know, how you got to where you're at today and, and who you are a bit? Absolutely. Well, I'm home-based in Raleigh, North Carolina, but I work with my clients around the globe. And as you mentioned, I've been in and around workplace learning for a long time, over 30 years But in the early 2000s, when I was working for a global organization, I was told to cut my budget, stop traveling, but still provide training to my global workforce. Probably something that many listeners can relate to. How do we overcome that? So I've been doing virtual training now for 23 years going on since the early 2000s. And much of my consulting business is working with really large global organizations on virtual training strategy, upskilling facilitators, designing interactive programs, both virtual, hybrid, and anything that's facilitated online. And, you know, clearly you have really extensive experience and um, in the virtual training industry here. And, you know, with technology that evolves so fast these days, how do you stay up to date with everything, all of the new that comes out? Oh, what a great question. You know, uh, if we were to jump back in time 10 years, these virtual platforms that we use today on a regular basis might have updated once a year or every other year when a new version came out. And these days they're updating, it seems like every week, every other week, there's a new feature that we find or discover. So it does take really deliberate effort to keep up with what's new and to really filter through the noise What's new that I need to be aware of? What's new that I need to use? And what's new that I can ignore? So uh, I try to take dedicated time, keep an eye on a lot of reading, a lot of uh, social media. What are the buzzwords, the keywords, and these vendors that I use their products on their blogs and on their postings to try to keep up with what's new? And that's a great segue here into this next question I have for you. And and what changes do you see happening in the L&D space right now? Oh, it mirrors what's happening. <laughs> the rapid pace of change in the workplace in general. Um, but there are, I think, three distinct trends or three things for us uh, as learning professionals, HR professionals to be aware of. And the first one is... So back in 2018, 2019, virtual training has been around for a long time and and most organizations were starting to use it. But we all know what happened in 2020, that rapid shift, much more uh, use of virtual training. So now that the pendulum's shifting back, organizations are trying to grapple with well, do we go back to the in-person classroom? What do we keep virtual? What do we have 
hybrid? Just what does it look like now? And many organizations so quickly converted in-person programs to online and didn't really take the time to design or redesign them well. And so grappling with, do we go back and if we're going to keep these programs virtual, do we redesign them well for the virtual classroom? Do we do something different with them? So I think that's a big shift right now that we're still seeing and organizations are trying to figure out uh, what's the path forward for virtual training. It's not going away, um, but what percent of our strategy is it? What classes make sense to be there? That's number one. Number two, as an offshoot of it, hybrid workplaces are all the rage right now. Uh, and I, I say that in a positive way. We have an organization, some people who never left the office, some who um, have always had remote work, and then that in between. But organizations now are creating or have created hybrid working policies, having some people or uh, employees who go back and forth, some who work in the office part-time. And so learning programs need to also figure out what does that mean for us? If we're having an in-person class, does that mean we can have a few people pipe in through the virtual platform? Does it mean that we need to have separate workshop offerings, some for in-person, some for remote, or some mix? So hybrid is number two. And then finally, the big buzzword right now, AI, <laughs> artificial intelligence. And what does that mean for learning professionals? Is it making our jobs easier? Is it making them go away? Is it making them different? Uh, where do we leverage the best that artificial intelligence has to offer versus where do we see it as, oh, that's nice, but doesn't quite fit with what our organization needs right now. So figuring that out, both organizations and individuals is a, is a key thing going on. And for you personally, have you found benefits in using AI in virtual training in, in your day-to-day? Such an interesting question, Sarah, because um, I, I would like to say no, but that's not necessarily true. When I'm creating uh, a slide deck to go along with a virtual class, the ability to better, faster, quicker get a prototype that I can then massage and tweak has been so helpful. It's shaving hours off of my design time. I just saw literally this morning um, an article that somebody posted on LinkedIn about a blended learning journey program, right? So most virtual classes aren't done in a vacuum. They're done as part of a series. And it was an AI helper for facilitators in blended learning journeys to help you stay connected with your remote participants, to help you craft messages, to help encourage them to do offline assignments, to uh, help you craft responses on your discussion board. And while I would not outsource that completely as a facilitator, I'm so intrigued. And that's my next task to start looking at how can I make use of my AI tools in communicating with my learners? Because as a facilitator, I'm trying to enable and help them and want to be value add. That's extremely interesting. And, and I would love to hear as your journey goes on, how, how you would start begin to incorporate those, um, those abilities there and those features. And so Cindy, what exciting things are you up to next? 
The list is long, uh, which I think is exciting. A couple of things. First of all, um, a few years ago, I started researching immersive learning. We were seeing in these virtual platforms, WebEx, Zoom, and the like, uh, immersive tools being added in. And by immersive, I mean spatial computing, the metaverse, virtual reality. Mm -hmm. We're starting to see things like uh, apps that are integrated into Zoom and Teams that you can not just be a 2D video showing up, but you can be truly immersed into a new world. And my perspective on that was, well, what do facilitators need to know? What do organizations need to know to really create immersive learning? So I wrote a book, came out uh, in December of 2022 uh, on the Facilitator's Guide to Immersive, Blended, Hybrid, and Virtual Learning. And uh, I think we can put that in the show notes for anyone who's interested, but I'm continuing that searching when do we need facilitator assistance in immersive learning environments and how can we incorporate immersion into our virtual classes? So that's number one. Uh, second of all, um, I have been writing and producing content in addition to the book I just mentioned I book Designing Virtual Learning for Application and Impact that I wrote with Jack and Patty Phillips and Emma Weber came out earlier this year. And I have two new books that will be out in 2024. They are second editions of my classics, the Virtual Training Guidebook and Virtual Training Tools and Templates. And I took the opportunity to go back and even though they're second editions, almost rewrite them from uh, start to finish with all of these new tools that are available to us today as compared to 10 years ago when those books were written. Wow. Well, it sounds like you have some really exciting projects in your pipeline for 2024. Definitely. And so we recently did the webinar together on five things the best of virtual presenters do. Can you give us the um, key takeaways for registrants at that event for anybody who's listening in today who hasn't had the chance to watch the recording yet? Oh, I'm so glad you asked this question because even though much of my work is with learning professionals and trainers, many of the skills we use in a learning event can be used in any type of virtual presentation, virtual communication. And it is now a core competency for professionals to be able to communicate in virtual meetings. Even though many of us have been doing this for years and especially in the last three uh, or so years, I find that many people still need assistance, how do we create really effective virtual presentations? And that was the topic of the webinar. We walked through five specific things that the best virtual presenters do. Part of it was preparing in advance. What do you prepare? How do you prepare? Second of all, we look at how we engage a remote audience when they're not in the room with you. What are the techniques we use to ask questions, to guarantee response and multitasking, keeping track of all the different components, uh, managing technology. But the one that uh, I think everyone, myself included, I'm always checking it, but everybody can look at and find improvement is how are we showing up on both audio and video? Right now, it is the expectation that when we come into a virtual meeting where we have information to present, that we should turn our cameras on. 
not only should they be on, we should be showing up the way we want to project ourselves. And that means having good lighting, being able to see your face, having eye contact with the camera, figuring out how do I look at the camera and also be able to see my notes or not staring off at a second monitor where you're just getting a profile view of somebody's face. Knowing how close or how far away to sit in with the webcam, putting yourself center without being too close or too far away. Those little tweaks that we can make to how we're showing up on camera can make such a difference in how we're perceived by our audience, by our teammates or whoever we're meeting with. Hand in hand with that is our audio. I ask presenters and speakers and leaders, when was the last time you heard yourself recorded or you asked for feedback on your audio? There was a study done recently that they took a subject matter expert who is clearly an expert in their topic and they distorted that person's audio and played the video back for audiences and asked the audience to rate the credibility of the speaker. The speaker whose audio wasn't as clear would get downgraded or not as perceived well. And so the lesson for us as speakers is checking to see, is our audio clear? Is our microphone picking up extra noise or breaths? Are we using a noise canceling feature, either part of the hardware or the software settings? But a couple of minutes before uh, getting on camera, Checking to see what's in our background. Are we, uh, it doesn't have to be perfectly curated, but do we have anything that could be potentially distracting? So uh, that's what I would point to, something that everybody can benefit from these days, showing up well with both our audio and video. And so what skills would you expect to see in someone who is at the top of their game and facilitating effective virtual presentations? And how might those skills be applied differently in different contexts, such as in-person or hybrid settings? Sarah, how long do we have to talk about this? Um, <laughs> right, let's boil it down to some essentials. One is showing up well on camera. We already talked about that. I think the common thread, the skill that separates those who are really... Um, well-versed in virtual presentations and virtual facilitation are those who remember it's always a conversation. It's a conversation with whoever is on the other side of that screen. That means they're more focused on the audience, on the audience questions, on putting themselves in the audience shoes, preparing in advance for what questions might be asked and how can I relate this content to them. Uh, even if it's just you and a camera and there is nobody else in the room with you, we take the lesson from really well-polished um, television reporters who can speak to that camera and then us, the viewers who are watching, feel like they're speaking to us and feel like we're in the room with them. And I think that's what separates the skill exactly is having a remote first mindset, the audience first mindset, remembering that it's about them. It's not about us. We want to show up well, but we want to remember it's about that audience. And I think as as hybrid work um, environments have become so much more popular, uh, it's always a key question that happens in every single one of my events where 
So people want to know, how do you manage your um, audience who's co-located while others are working remotely to make sure that everyone feels like they're involved and and included? What tips do you have for this? Oh, you know, my first tip is don't do it if you don't have to. (laughs) And that sounds so silly, but you've got two different audience experiences, those who are in person and those who are online. So if you've got the resources to bring everybody together, do it. If you don't, consider keeping everyone remote, everyone with that same equal experience, right? Is there value in having people come together? Now, if you do, if that makes sense in your organization to have some people in a meeting room and others remote, Number one, we want a good technology setup. There are many vendors who offer hybrid room kits or uh, hardware pieces that you can use to have good uh, visuals, good audio. So I would invest in that if you know that's the direction your organization is going to go. And then number two, we want to upskill facilitators, speakers in hybrid environments so that they know how to have that remote first mindset, how to include the remote audience in the conversation. It's simple things like doing more check-ins than we normally would, checking to see how everyone's doing. It might look like assigning each remote person to an in-room person so that they're paired up, they're partnered up and can have a connection. It might look like getting our remote audience together in a breakout room to meet one another while the in-person audience is meeting. That way everyone has a social connection and then allowing that conversation to continue. It might look like the facilitator who is narrating what's happening in the in-person room, being more detailed than they normally would. I think of it a little bit like a sporting event where, you know, the announcer is trying to help you feel like you're there at that event. The meeting facilitator needs to do the same thing for the remote audience. This is actually, Sarah, one of my most popular workshops right now. I teach meeting leaders and learning facilitators how to facilitate in this environment because it takes a real skill to do it well. Absolutely. And and given the current trends in digital communication, what do you think the average virtual presenter should stop doing? What should they start doing? And what should they continue doing? Oh, goodness. What a great <laughs> question. Um, I think that they should start using the tools that we have available in the program much more often than they do. A quick something like, hey, I sent out the slide deck or I sent out the handout in advance. Instead of pausing there saying, who received it? Click on the raise hand button, right? Just a simple little thing, but it adds the engagement. We have the tools or hey, everyone, we're about to talk about ABC. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you hear it? Type that in chat. So it's simple, but effective to draw that in. Um, what should they stop doing? They should stop using filler words and uh, crutches when speaking and crutches meaning that, uh, um, uh, and that's a classic advice that's old as time, but in a virtual environment, it's so much more pronounced. And, uh, so getting some 
some coaching and assistance in our speech, in our words and word choices that we use, super important. And then what should we continue doing? I think was the third part of that. I think we should continue meeting when it makes sense to meet. And we all have been in those meetings that could have been an email. When we think about distracted virtual attendees, meetings you go to that you don't really need to be there, I think we should continue asking the question, do we really need to come together or could I have sent this out by video, by um, collaborative whiteboard for a brainstorm, by a uh, text message or some other method of communication? And, you know, as virtual events continue to expand, what's the future look like for virtual events, do you think? I think we're moving to much more immersive technologies, whether that's using avatars instead of our actual video, whether that's using hand gesture recognition so we don't have to click on a button to raise the hand, we just raise the hand. Uh, I think we're going to see higher expectations for those types of features and greater adoption of those. And Cindy, before I let you go today, where can listeners go to learn more about your work and connect with you? The best place is my website, which is cindyhuggett.com. And I think we'll put that down in the show notes. It's my name spelled out.com. Or uh, LinkedIn is a great place to connect. Just search for me, Cindy Huggett, and I would love to connect and continue the conversation. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Cindy. It's been great to be here, Sarah. Thanks for having me. And if you have yet to watch the recording of this webinar event, make sure you do so. That will also be included down below in the description. And we hope you enjoy listening to the HRDQU in review podcast available on all major major streaming platforms. If you did enjoy today's episode, make sure to give us a follow and leave us a five-star review. It helps us to continue to produce this content for you every week. Thank you all for tuning into this week's episode of the HRDQU in review podcast brought to you by HRDQ. You.com.